Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. months ago, I had Tim Rice on the show talking about the pluses and minuses of ChatGPT. That would be episode number 76. After the podcast aired, Tim told me he kept thinking of other aspects of this technology that he wished he had included in our discussion. Since then, the topic continues to dominate conversations from tech to marketing to a recent segment CBS did where they interviewed Sandeep Pichai, among other Google executives, on the topic. Everyone has a perspective. Everyone seems to have an opinion. So I invited Tim back to give his again and to cover those topics we did not cover the first time. I think you're really going to enjoy what has now become part two of our conversation. Tim, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Sam. It's nice to be here. I, I know there are a few specific topics you want to cover. However, here's where I want to start, if you're good with it. So the last time I had not been able to get onto the open uh AI platform, ChatGPT. There seems to be so many more of them now. Maybe you can tell some of that too. Um, So I decided that I wanted to start this time with asking ChatGPT this question and seeing if any of the questions, any of the topics that you had emailed me that you wanted to cover were in there. I was just kind of playing with it. Mm -hmm. So I asked it if I were interviewing someone about ChatGPT, what would be five good questions to ask? And out of that first five, only one of them was on your list. Interesting. Yes. And that question, so we can start with that one. And they kind of, they, they actually uh, added a little bit more to it in there. What are the limitations of ChatGPT? And they added, and how is OpenAI addressing them? It's funny. I'll, I'll start with a, with a reference. I just, yesterday, the day before, I, I was giving a, a guest lecture at, at Columbia Business School. And uh, it's largely a talk I've given for many years, but it's uh, I updated it recently to reflect current events. And um, not surprisingly, all the questions that we, at the end were around that. And by the end of the answering or not answering those questions, I, I flat out said to the room, I, I feel like I avoided answering every question you asked. <laughs> but only because the answers don't exist yet. So, so the truth is, those are like the limitations of, of ChatGPT are better answered by, by ChatGPT. Um, I will say um, that it's early days. So as we talked about uh, last time about Google's uh, BARD you know, underperforming in its debut, that's really not surprising. Uh, or even the the uh, racist tirade of uh, one of the, the platforms. So they're basically toddlers, right? They're mm. they are learning, and they're going to get it wrong, uh, but they'll get less and less wrong as they go along. And as we talked about last time about exponential effects, particularly in technology, they'll they'll get it less and less wrong, and then really almost never get it wrong. <laughs> you know, it'll, it will progress rather quickly. Along. 
So they'll do better than adults do because adults still get it wrong no matter how old they get. But <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, it's funny. And uh, we were just talking about, about tangents, but um, uh, I don't think we talked about uh, Dr. Peter and Peter principle uh, from the 1970s, but um, I don't think so. The psychologist, he had this uh, concept that, that uh, even for those who don't know Dr. Peter, uh, they have probably heard, uh, his idea, which was that, that everyone rises to their level of incompetence, that you, you, you just keep getting promoted until you're in over your head. And, and uh, psychology today, uh, where my dad worked, was how I first got exposed to it as a, as a teen. Um, they actually did the game based on the Peter Principle. And, and the way the game worked was you went around a circle as a wig and then a big wig and then a great big wig and you moved up. But as you moved around your little circle, your goal was really to make as few decisions as possible. And as a wig, it was two-thirds in your favor that you would make right decisions. But once you got up a tier, it was two-thirds against you that you'd make the right decisions. <laughs> and eventually, you'd get fired either for uh, making too many wrong decisions uh, or <laughs> making too many right decisions uh, when they considered you overconfident. <laughs> well, I hope that ChatGPT doesn't start to make wrong decisions because we could really be in trouble with that. But I kept on going with this because, again, you I think we might have unleashed a crazy person with ChatGPT now because I'm starting to figure out how I can actually use it in my life. Mm -hmm. So I asked it anything else that you think it would be important to touch on. Um, and I find it very polite, too, because it, you know, it's like, <laughs> yes, here are some additional topics that might be important to touch on when discussing ChatGPT. So this time I got five more answers. I didn't ask for five, which I thought was interesting because every time I, do, I did this, I was getting the number five. Um, and only one of your questions was there. None of the topics, rather, that you wanted to touch on, which I'm was glad the that any work, you know. That's, but, that's <laughs> well, I did find that it was it was all most of them were all kind of setting themselves up for the positive aspect at the end of the question. I mean, I did find it a little slanted, and again, you know, I am a skeptic. I'm not cynical, but I'm a skeptic. A healthy dose of skepticism, I think, is a good thing. So anyway, the one that they did come up with was ethical considerations. How is open AI addressing ethical concerns around the use of these models, such as the misuse, potential misuse, or unintended consequences? Uh, the, uh, the ethical thing is definitely on my brain all the time about this. Yeah, and, and I actually, I, I made some notes for myself because I want to make sure I was talking about different things from last time. Um, uh, and and uh, for your audience's benefit, you know, part of why I'm here is because we were talking and, and I, I feel like I stopped at the wrong place. You know, I didn't really talk about generative AI, uh, um, which is what the headlines are all about. But what comes from that is a lot of ethical. So I, I can't really speak uh, definitively to what OpenAI itself is doing, although I'll add a footnote here that uh, your observation about a slant to the to the answers is something to bear in mind about all AI, which is that someone, uh, while not programming in the traditional sense of, you know, as we talked about last time, the distinction between artificial intelligence and machine learning, it, it is being programmed to learn to do certain things, but it's being given a roadmap by someone. And, and that someone, there are people who work for OpenAI, 
or in the case of Google, it's Google or whoever else might be there. So um, it's definitely going to have a point of view and, and uh, skepticism is the right way to approach all of this. And <laughs> in fact, the big ones anyway, all begin with a, a disclaimer about we might get it wrong. You should double check anything that you do. It's essentially in, in beta. Um, but ethically, um, we can we can go a little while on this one because this is really what I, I think is interesting. Um, you know, I'll start where where we are these days. You know, we we both come from the profession, but have moved into academia, and there is legitimate concern about what I'll call the new plagiarism, which is. I think, you know, I should look up the actual definition, but I think when we think of plagiarism, it's, it's uh, you know, stealing from someone else. And this is less that than it is having someone else write your paper. Well, I, yeah, I, and to me, plagiarism is, you know, using someone else's exact wording as though it was your own without giving any attribution to it. That's may not be what, the legal definition, but that's my definition. <laughs> and I think that actually that's a great one because it serves both purposes. It could be that you stole it from someone else or it could be you had someone else write it for you. And that's obviously what, what uh, you know, there's an application there. Um, but if you leave academia and you go into the world of advertising, for instance, um, you have to start asking questions about the impact on jobs. Um, because you may have seen Ryan Reynolds' Mint Mobile ad, um, yes. where he talks about, I asked him to write an ad, and this is what it wrote, and he kind of was impressed. Yes, I, I, I did see that, and eventually, and I want you to keep going here, because I, I knew you want to talk about this, but eventually I got, but I had to be very specific before AI gave me any questions about the job implications to ask you. Very interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. I wonder if it's, a, if it's avoiding that subject. I wonder if at some point, if you really make it uncomfortable, if it, you know, does something like, I don't know, oh, oh isn't that Barack Obama walking in? Like, <laughs> just, just try to distract you entirely. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, I, I have something in my throat I can't answer right. You know, I, I, it, it, might, it might get there eventually. Uh, well, as I think about jobs, because this one's coming up a lot, and I know I, I mentioned last time that as a musician, I was relieved that at least so far the music is terrible that, that they uh, have been able to create. But we've seen some very impressive art that AI mm-hmm. has created. It got me thinking about this historically, and it's something I've talked about for years, uh, starting at Google and since then in, in guest lectures. Um you know, thinking about the it, really the best parallel is the industrial revolution. That that people freak out about technology taking jobs. And mm-hmm. in, during the industrial revolution, the Luddites actually took sticks to machines to to, to prevent them from taking their jobs. When, in point of fact, historically, technology has created two jobs for everyone mm-hmm. that it destroyed. That, although it did destroy jobs, so. The idea of being adaptable became really important, and, and it always was. However, at that time and up until this time, technology has played the role of freeing up humans to do uniquely human things, mm-hmm. specifically thinking and interacting, deciding what the machines should do, whether those would be 
mechanical machines or computers, that was the people job. Mm-hmm. The the people would design, uh, you know, the research and would allow the computer to conduct. The grunt work became became the computers. Um, the question that is on my mind is what's left for humans to do mm-hmm. when the computers can do the thinking and be interactive. Now, oh, I, 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 you know, it's the dumbing. You know, I worry that it's the dumbing of society because, in theory, what you're saying has been true to date. That yes, it should give us more time to think, but yet it doesn't take much more than an hour of watching what's going on or watching the news to wonder like what are people thinking why aren't they thinking or literally just even walking down the street so i don't see people thinking as much and it's it's, it sounds good in theory but my observations are that not everyone is thinking they're not thinking this and critical thinking is a skill it's you know you have to it's important to to the survival i think of our society Uh, absolutely i i I should be clear i'm talking about you know work thinking okay um uh in terms of thinking about society thinking about their actions again i'm a student of history uh, i love reading history and it's uh, a backhanded compliment to humanity that um while it might seem like we're getting dumber we've never been that bright um, <laughs> humanity is remarkably consistent in its shortcomings um and, and in its wonders. I mean, uh, we've done remarkable things uh, throughout history as well. But uh, uh, if you really uh, uh, read up uh, from pretty much the moment there were more than two of us, uh, uh, there was a lot, of, a lot of bad stuff happening. This is true. This is true. I'm not going to argue that point to you at all. So what do you think, though? I did. I finally asked it a question. Let's stay on this work topic. I had to ask it. Should I ask about the implications of the workforce? Because you know, 10 questions in, 10 responses rather in, I wasn't getting it. Um, and... Did it say you should mind your own business? <laughs> no, it, it didn't. It didn't say that. It just said yes. That's also an important topic to consider. And here are some questions related. Um, and I really didn't like most of them. The only one I have highlighted here is how do you think ChatGPT and other AI language models will impact jobs in the workforce in the coming years? And you've kind of answered that. I think you've answered that. Um, well, I do have a, have a, a riff on that that I, I wanted good. to mention, which is I like riffs. Yeah. Uh, well, it, again, all of this is speculative, but it is easy to conceive of uh, a world that evolves with a uh, a sort of high functioning elite that is is working with computers that mm-hmm. is doing the stuff that needs to be done, um, and everyone else who's essentially being entertained. I've I've, I've long <laughs> believed that we can divide up society among those who are creating the entertainments and those who are consuming it. Um, and the the first group is rather small compared to the second group. Yes. And that might be where we're headed. Um, again, there's all kinds of uh, lower paying uh, work that will undoubtedly continue to thrive for a long time. But as more and more people are doing that work, it, it conceivably becomes less and less uh, worthwhile you know, economically. 
So, so then you can start to spin out. So what happens to the economy? You know, right. We take so many things for granted. I personally, uh, to be clear, I am a, a fan of capitalism. I think it works. I think it, you know, it, it uh, inspires great things. It, it is not always fair, and it is often unfair. But um, no, I am. I am too. I think it's. I think it has. It's a little. I don't want to say broken, but it's definitely needs some work right now. But I am at heart a capitalist as well, so I think. It but it's worth bearing in mind that that these concepts. Uh, didn't always exist. Mm-hmm. Money uh, was invented. There was a time before money. Um, so you can speculate about, does this point towards a, a future version of society in which we don't worry about this? That because we're leveraging the power of artificial intelligence, that we can actually use it to... to uh, stand away at inequalities and instead provide for everyone. Again, that may be hugely optimistic uh, given human nature, but it's conceivable. It is. Con- no, you know, I, I can see where you're going with that. It is conceivable. Um, be interesting to see. I mean, I, it's just we're kind of at the beginning of we are at the beginning of, some, of a very big change. I'm I'm convinced of that part now. And I can see even in my little exercise here for you, <laughs> for this. And now I'm thinking, you know, you could do this a lot, Joanne. You've got a book that you're trying to finish. And maybe this is going to help you to get that, you know, final synopsis together that you just can't seem to wrap your head around. And I'm like, do I put the whole book into ChatGPT that I have? Is that what I do? I'm not even sure about that part. But I do know I had something come in my email this morning from one of my, because I also write from one of my writing uh sites that, you know, someone has already written a book about how to use ChatGPT for, for um, specifically for writers and how to use it to benefit. Mm. Because that's, a, and that is a big conversation right now. Does, because writing is of course for fun. And then it's also content marketing. It's so many different things right now. And writers are upset. And here's this person who said, okay, you know, this is found herself more productive well, we, we touched on it last time we talked, right? The the uh, Eric Schmidt's line about augmented humanity. That's the promise of it, is, is for us to be driving the bus, but for it to do the legwork for us. One of the examples I gave is, is in its world, right? The, it's coding. You write your code and then have AI debug your code, which it can do faster and more accurately than you can. But... You could still write your code, or you could say, I've written this much of the code, this is what the rest needs to do, and, and have your AI. So th- this is this is maybe a little bit off topic, because you know I have always suggested to our students that if there's anything extra they want to take, just learn how to code, because it's going to be another language. You know, I have no desire to learn how to code, because it's just mm-hmm. not the way my brain fits. But you know, is that so- and not everyone has that kind of a brain, in my humble little opinion. I'm, I'm sure I could be taught it. Mm-hmm. Would I enjoy it? You know, it's kind of like I always joke with spreadsheets and financial documents. The only thing I'm really interested in is how much money I'm making on this thing. And the rest <laughs> of it you can all do by yourselves. So does what does that do to society? Is it only the people that understand that who have that that mindset for it? Because I do think it's a different mindset than some. There is a creativity in it, but it's a different creativity than the way I look at creativity. Yeah, it's, I, I think that's part of that uh, that storyline that has an, a, an elite 
develop and go to. You know, I, I remember some years ago, uh, I don't remember who broadcast it, but uh, uh, Bill Gates and um, Warren Buffett were doing business school meetings um, together. And they did a kind of cute thing, which was they, they would answer each other's questions. When the, when the audience would ask Gates something, Buffett would ask everything back. Um, and one of the things one of them said, I forget which, was, um, hey, let's acknowledge we were both extremely fortunate to be born at this time in history when our particular skill sets were valued. If we were born in, in the Middle Ages or earlier, we would have been food for some large animal. Like, look <laughs> at us. We, we can't defend ourselves, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I thought it was a, a, an interesting observation. Like, certainly smart people have always had an advantage, but there are certain skills uh, specific to being able to manage the output of computers that has become far more valuable than ever before. It, 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 so speaking to that and speaking to everything we were just talking about, there's one other thing I want to be sure to mention, which is a very human component, which is how how are we reacting to it right now? Mm -hmm. um, one of the more famous voices around technology, Elon Musk, is, is uh, shouting from the rooftops that this is dangerous to humanity. Yeah, at, um, at the same time that he now has started a company. Yeah, I don't. I try not to uh, uh, quote people I disagree with. <laughs> I, I know. I, I, you know, I think he. I think he's a very smart man, and that he really helped to change the auto industry and move us towards electric vehicles. However, just one great success doesn't mean everything you touch is going to be successful or that, uh, you're, I, or that you're a nice human being for that matter. So. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. But but here's here's the thing. Um, and we can think about the, the again, Bard's failure and how people, uh, temporary failure and how people reacted to that. Um, a cornerstone of the talks that I give is about the inevitability of change and and the fact that it change proceeds exponentially and that we are poorly equipped to process that, that we always overestimate the near term and underestimate the long term. Um, but because of the nature of exponential change, it's inherently anxiety provoking because yes. it comes on super fast and it's and that is happening. Like even the number of things that are changing exponentially is speeding up. So we really are, there's a reason for the anxiety feeling. There are two books, they've probably written others, but I'm only familiar with the two, by uh, two, I believe they're both uh, marketing professors, uh, Chip and Dan. One is called Made to Stick, uh, about why certain ideas stay with people. And the other is called Switch. Um, and it is in Switch that they talk about uh, or, or, you know, how to motivate people. And it's, uh, it's this picture of uh, a, an elephant and a rider. Uh, you know, the elephant is 2,000 pounds and the rider is 150 pounds. And in theory, the rider is directing the elephant. But we all know at the end of the day, the rider says turn left and the elephant just doesn't feel like it. It's not going to happen. The rider is, an, is our intellect, and the elephant is our emotions. Mm. So from a marketing standpoint, what I tell my, my students is, 
yes, you should make a rational, logical appeal to the intellect. But if it is not married to an emotional appeal, uh, it'll have, have limited impact on your target audience. Let's attach this to, to AI and what's going on. There. there is precious little data uh, about what this is going to be, right? What the impact is. These things have to play out. However, the movie in people's heads uh, started running in the 70s when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger started starring in movies about the technological apocalypse. The Terminator. Uh, I'll yeah. be back. I'll yeah. be back. <laughs> I mean, that idea of machines taking over. Mm -hmm. Well, shoot, you can go back to, was it the 20s that uh, Metropolis was made? The, I mean, this idea of... Back then, it wasn't computers, but it was it was you know, industry machines with covered. Um, this is not to be political, but but um, it's it's just such an apt example. Um, you know, gun ownership in, in the United States is a hot topic, um, and despite the fact that that the data indicates that the only thing that the presence of a gun in a home does is vastly increase the likelihood that you will shoot yourself or one of your family members. Um, the movie in people's minds of a bad guy coming through the window wins. Yeah, that's an interesting, it's an interesting point. Interesting, yeah. So the movie that's running right now in people's minds is, you know, AI is going to take my job and it's going to watch everything I do and I'm um, going to become uh, a serf of, of the new Middle Ages. Uh, um, <laughs> a serf of the new Middle Ages. I, I am, that might be the title, might be the title of this podcast when I, when I put this out there. <laughs> well, that's, the, you know, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm only describing all of this because the thing that uh, I think the, the companies involved in this space need to be thinking hard about is mm -hmm. how do they replace that movie? Uh, they need to be talking about uh, the good things that can come from this. Like we talked about last year. Yeah, yeah, and, and there were a lot. Not generative, you know, but, but that AI can identify skin cancer. Mm -hmm. That's pretty exciting. It, it's, it's unbelievable. And that's, ex I, I couldn't agree with you more, but to, talk about the, the, and one of the questions I asked was, why are people freaking out so much? Was in, you may have seen this, but 60 Minutes did an interview, a segment on, I guess it was this past Sunday, um, on ChatGPT, and they interviewed um, Sunai uh, Pachar. And I had people saying, oh my God, Joanne, I know you know a little bit more about this than I do. I am terrified. This is so frightening. And I watched it and the way they presented it, it was pretty frightening. And I, again, I know more than the average person. I know more than I let on. But, you know, there is that, oh my God, what's going on? But if I think about it, people were a little freaked out when the internet started. Mm -hmm. You know, like what's going on here? Like, how is all this happening? Um, and I guess that's my, and I think I said this in our first conversation, my biggest concern is that we have some sort of guardrails around this because we didn't with the internet and we did not with social media. And now we have this spread of misinformation and disinformation, which was one of the questions that I did ask it eventually is, should I ask if it will aid in spreading misinformation? 
um, and I got five questions again. So um, that I could ask you, and that is a concern. It's a concern that I have because again, I I see what's happening, and I was a big proponent of both the internet and certainly social media in the early days. Yeah, uh, uh, that was actually one of my many uh, uh, notes to myself. Was, oh, good. Uh, Let's talk about, about it then. Yeah, when we think <laughs> about societal uh, concerns, higher quality deep fakes distributed to the entire population instantly mm -hmm. uh, is is another pretty scary movie. Um, and we don't have the facts. We don't know that this will happen, but it, it is a capability. And if you think back to 1938 and Orson Welles' radio broadcast of the War of the Worlds, which, by the way, the entire country did not freak out. It, it was a handful of, you know, people that actually ties back to your comment about whether people think or not. They didn't think. You know, they, they had a <laughs> dumb reaction. But, but you know, apply that instead of to New Jersey, apply it to the whole world of a video of, uh, you know, I don't know, of, of Biden saying he's launching the missiles uh, to attack Russia. Um, it, all I can say is, you know, someone invented, when we were first finding our feet as beings, someone invented fire and said, this is awesome. We're going to be warm. We're going to be able to see creatures at night and we'll be safer. And this is great. And someone else lit that guy's house on fire. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, everything great we come up with, um, somebody else is thinking about a way to misuse or use it to their own benefit and to others' harm. And um, again, I, I may have mentioned this before, but the scary thing is we've always had that tendency. It is only in the last hundred years that we've had the ability to take those bad things and do world altering harm. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think that is a concern with this kind of technology <laughs> is we're already having this issue with people being able to discern fact from fiction, you know, truth from lies. And yes, you can say that you can look at, and there are ways you can look at something that can be two truths to something, I suppose, if it's a personal truth, but there are certain facts that are just facts. They're mm -hmm. hard facts and they're not going to change. And yet we're having an issue with that because there is a spread of it and it's already been happening without that. So I guess that is just this, again, you can create a deep fake. It can, someone who, it was, I believe, I believe it was Dove who did the, um, a series because they've been on this big campaign about young girls' images and how it's being affected on social media. And I don't know if you saw this one, but it was a month, there were a series of mothers and daughters and the mothers were unaware of a lot of it. And they did deep fake technology where they had the mother's faces saying other things that they had wow. never said. And it was very frightening to see that that ability exists. So again, then it goes back to, you know, are we gonna put some guardrails on this, some sort of legality so that you know, there are some sort of consequences if you're abusing it? Because I do, I mean, the fact, if it could, if AI can tell me that I have skin cancer and I'm like, I don't, thank God, I better knock on wood right now, or um, has the ability to read a, 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 an MRI scan better than the doctor or quicker than the doctor detect something that they may not see. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. 
but yeah. again, there's that, you know, it's that, it's that plus and minus thing. I went off, I went off on my riffs or rants no, or no, whatever it is. No, I think you're spot on. And uh, it, it's very interesting because for all the bad things that have evolved from the internet and, and uh, um, social media in particular, um, I don't think we would have accomplished all the great things that have come from it uh, if there was significant regulation in its uh, basis. All right, I, I'm, I'm sure. That, that said, and this is personal opinion, that said, if you look at, at AI, um, it's funny, it, it is distinct from the internet, but it's going to be leveraging the internet as a distribution platform. Um, if you look at it as an extension of, of the internet, you could argue that we have reached at least the adolescence, if not the early adulthood of the internet, and now is the time for for some adult supervision. Um, <laughs> uh, I, although, again, the, the, I personally have a lot of skepticism about about any individual government's capacity to play that role uh, because they have so consistently demonstrated how little they understand them. Well, that's really interesting because let me read to you one of the questions that they suggested when I said, should I ask if ChatGPT will aid in spreading misinformation? Uh, number five was, how do we balance the need for free and open communication with the need to prevent the spread of false or misleading information through AI language models? So, which is kind of what you're saying. Yes, uh, it's one of the things that people... Uh, expect these days, particularly uh, in the United States, is perfection. And it might serve us to recognize that that's a, a rare thing. Um, what we can hope to do is, uh, is introduce a level of supervision that is right more often than it's wrong. Mm -hmm. But it will definitely be too heavy-handed and too lenient some of the time. And I think it goes back to also who's making these decisions. Do they understand it? Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately, certainly, you know, again, not to get too political, but in this country, we have a lot of people in Congress or in the Senate that are trying to make decisions even right now about things like TikTok that don't even understand fully how this technology works. Yeah, and I, kid, I, I kid you, one of my students came in and said, have you watched those hearings, Joanne? They're asking questions. They don't understand it because these students are studying it now. They're deep. And they happen to be deep into Sinan Arrow's book at that time, which is The Hype Machine. I don't know if you've read it or not, but it's fascinating. And do we have people that really understand it? I mean, you, you know more than I do. I know more than somebody else does. But we both together know a whole lot more than a lot of people do about what's going on. And we're not programming it. Yeah, I... I uh... I, I'm not concerned that the congressmen and senators themselves don't know, but they have staffs. And, and the fact that, they, you know, they set themselves up when, when Sundar is in front of them and they asked a question about uh, their iPhones. And, and it was, it was. It was crazy. You know, I forget what was, the question it, was. It was embarrassing. What do you call that? A, a softball, you know, for, for him to knock out of the park because he got to lean into the mic and say, oh, we don't make this. <laughs> which, which, by the way, was was and, and I've never met him, but he was 
my ultimate boss, I guess. Um, uh, by all reports, is a delightful guy, but That's that was a very reason. cynical response uh, up on his part because he knew he's not dumb. <laughs> He knew that that's not what the senator was asking. He was asking about what about content on the device. But because he the question was crafted so poorly, um, it created an opportunity for for that lack of understanding to be highlighted. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know uh, I don't know exactly how we get to the right place for the right amount of supervision. Um, it, it, it will be interesting to see this play out. So I kept on going with my questions. Yeah. And I know that you had talked about how it can be used to create and nothing was happening. I was getting nothing. I was down 15 questions I'd gotten already. So I asked it, should I ask, I asked it, I don't even know. I guess it's like a they, right? We don't know whether it's a man or a woman. It's <laughs> a they. Um, should I ask how ChatGPT could aid in creating questions for a podcast interview? That was the first thing I asked. Mm -hmm. And basically they gave me nothing that was, nothing that was unique. It was just nothing really made sense. So I thought, no, I think Tim would tell me to rephrase that question. So <laughs> I had you in the back of my head and I did. And it said, how can I, I asked, how can ChatGPT be used to create questions for a podcast interview? A little bit more specific. And I got some decent answers, some that you would do anyway, identify the topic or theme, you know, input the topic or theme. And along with specific questions, it'll list, tell me it's going to uh, uh, generate a list of questions, review and refine the questions. And here's what I think the last couple of parts were so interesting to me, actually, made me feel good. Use the questions generated by ChatGPT as a starting point for the podcast interview, but also allow for organic conversation and follow-up questions based on the responses of the guests. And then it finished with, it's important to note that while ChatGPT can provide a helpful starting point for generating questions, it should not be relied upon solely for question creation. This is their words, not mine. Yep. The host or producer should also conduct research and come up with their own questions to ensure a well-rounded and informative interview. And then I was like, okay, oh, now I'm kind of liking you. You're, you know, it's, <laughs> it seemed like it was really thinking. And then I thought, well, that's, what do you think? Are you, does that surprise you that they would have come like that? Or is that? Not at all. No. Um, it, it, so I had asked it uh, to just on a lark. I said, the, uh, What's the best car to buy? Right. What's the best value to buy in the United States? And and it began with a disclaimer about well, there are a lot of different reasons why one car might be better for an individual buyer. But and I, in my own uh, skepticism, I keep saying skepticism because you did. I'm probably uh, more cynical. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, you know, it creeps in and I hear the voice of a lawyer uh, in there somewhere saying, we yes. better be saying, you know, and then that undoubtedly got programmed in. Let's make sure. But it's it's also just plain good advice. Um, and it's a good example of, of what it's able to do, which is gather up a bunch of information on the topic, sift through it and give it back to you. In, in a bigger context than traditional searches might have. Like you could have typed all that into Google and, mm -hmm. and Lord knows what might have come back. But instead you're getting something that's more conversational. Last time we, we were talking 
about about the interface and the kind of frictionlessness and and natural conversational nature of this. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I actually think that's part of what uh, one will part of what will draw people to it, but two, what will make it um, ultimately successful is um, uh, again not to not to trade on sci-fi, but you think about Star Trek and mm -hmm. the conversational nature uh, of the interactions with the computer. Yeah. Even yeah. even phrases like I remember when when uh, I was still at Google when they started to note that um, using your your voice assistant that you could say um, I don't know uh, uh, what's the best car to buy and you might get here's here's a list from Kelly Blue Book and you could ask right after that. Uh, which of them has the lowest or the highest uh, uh, you know, range, and it would answer. That's a very natural thing for human conversation, but it was a big development for a computer to be able to link those two separate conversations to recognize that they was referring to the output of the first question. Oh, which of these cars I just told mm -hmm. about. Um, and that's a regular part of what what these uh, generative AI programs are doing. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it, just to go back to what you said about the internet search on Google, it's the difference here is that, and again, this is where I probably get really cynical with Google. I do think it's a good starting point to do search there, but I also know that the answers are coming up because of what's either someone paying it that's coming up first because they did a really good job with search or it's by engagement, not necessarily accuracy. We don't know how this is gonna be because eventually someone's gonna to need to figure out how is this making money or is it just gonna get integrated into Google search system, into um, Microsoft is doing that now with, you know, well, they keep telling me I'm on the waiting list for Bing to with their new with their new thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what it's gonna be like because it, it is fascinating. Is there anything else that we have not covered that was on your list there? Well, I, I don't know if it was on the list, but you just, you just, uh, uh, alluded to it, which is one of the big question marks for me is uh, what will the model be for monetization? As you just said, uh, it, it is radically different if, if it is a conversational uh, uh, tool and if it starts its answer with, um, well, here are some questions, but you know, would you they like were paid, a, They were brought to you by uh, whoever. Right. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, or you know, maybe this is. And again, you know, I'm kind of subscriptioned out because I have so many of them now. And maybe that is the model: is that it starts as a subscription service, that you're going to get something better if you pay for it. Which, you know, it could be something that I would think about paying for. I'm not going to pay Elon Musk because I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I'm <laughs> certainly not going to pay him just to have a you know, verified check mark to say that I am who I am. I have a driver's license and a passport <laughs> and a birth certificate for that matter that verify that. Um, so yeah, it should I, be, you know. Subscription is definitely a, a potential model. I, 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 I want to touch back on, on the Google results. Um, uh, agreed, you know, that yes, yes, people paid, to be there, certainly on your phone, generally, if it's a monetizable query you put in, the only stuff above the fold will be asked, um, and you can scroll down to the rest of it. 
But and we just covered this in my class. Uh, I I remain a booster of of the business model because it a couple of things. One, it really is a win win win. Um, and it is a win-win-win because the way that the auction works is it favors the the ad mm-hmm. most likely to get clicked because it if it serves the best answer, it will get clicked, which means the consumer wins, the marketer wins, and Google wins because they only get paid if it, if it gets clicked. So it's while people have definitely made a science out of how to win in, in these spaces, it continues to give really good answers, and and you know, I, I admire that. I think that's and in fact, I emphasize to the class, Google was far from the first search engine. Mm-hmm. It was the first one to create a really worthwhile ranking system. Everything else was just an index. You might as well go to the library and plow mm-hmm. through through those little cards. It's just so, like the, you know, the iPhone was not new. It wasn't the first smartphone. It was just the first one that really did it well and made it easily accessible and pretty and all that good interface experience type of stuff. So, And, and that's what is, is going to determine the winner within the AI space. What is actually giving people the best result? What what is most usable? There was a wonderful. I, I tried to find it. I can't find it anymore. But there was a wonderful Apple ad back in the days when uh, desktop computers were characterized as IBMs, which really meant IBM and a bunch of other companies that were running Windows and and Macs. And uh, the camera rolls across a you know, cattle area of desks uh, with IBMs on them and into an office with a Mac and a bunch of people standing around it. And uh, the comment, the voiceover was, did you ever think that maybe because one of the one of the things that uh, non-Mac uh, proponents would say is they're not as powerful as the IBM computers. And the voiceover said, did you ever think that maybe the most powerful computer is the one that people use? <laughs> and again, it was that developing yeah. a better in- interface, one that is appealing and that that accomplishes what people want. That idea of friction again. Uh, it was it was just as complex, maybe more complex than IBM computers. But it it obscured all of that. You never saw any of that. It was much closer to real human interaction, which is the promise of all of this stuff. And and so that's, I guess net net. I don't have a lot of answers. I have a lot of speculation, maybe informed speculation. But this is going to be a very interesting time. For humanity in general, but definitely for markets. And that, my friend, I think is a perfect way to end this. I thank you for your time and your wisdom. And who knows, maybe we'll be doing a part three of this uh, before you know it. (laughs) There'll be something new. For part three, uh, I'm going to send my bot to to be interviewed by your bot. Oh, gosh. Oh, my goodness. All right. right. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Julie. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember... 
whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. <laughs> 